Just give me a countdown when you're ready to go. I'll get this kicked off the right way. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, North Texas sports fans. Welcome to Sports Day Insider from the Dallas Morning News. It's your weekly update on all things Cowboys, Rangers, Mavericks, Stars. Should I go on? I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Evan Grant. And I'm David Moore. We break down the calls, the playmakers, and all the inside scoop right here every Tuesday. And you can stay up to date on every Sports Day Insider episode and other great shows. Just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate the Dallas Morning News feed. It really does make a difference. Guys, can we get the show started? Let's do it. Here we go, sports fans. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Your energy level sounds low today, Kevin. Are you you a little tired? Did the draft wear you down? Or You know, I'm never worn down by the draft. Unlike you, David, I don't have to be out there <laughs> with all those people, you know, and I use that term loosely, people. Oh, no, come on. Uh, but, you know, it, I don't have the same kind of uh, commitment as a columnist, you know, I'm, it's pretty much just a luxury job, so I don't have to really work. So that's the good thing. Well, my commitment is I'm told to be there to cover it. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, no, I like to draft. It's a lot of yeah, fun. Sure, it is lot, fun. Lot, certainly a lot of things to talk about coming out of it. Exactly. And Evan Grant, my old pal. How's it going, Evan? Kevin, are you sure you're not worn down by the fact that we had a staff meeting yesterday? Yeah, a staff meeting. That's a beat down, isn't it? Holy oh, come God. on. You know, when I, when I became one of the veterans on the staff, I made sure that everyone younger than me made, made no comments when they asked, has anybody got anything? And the idea is that, no, you don't have anything, so just be quiet. That has been your most valuable contribution to the section, I would say, in your time at the morning <laughs> news. That was, again, you know, that was one of all the mentorship things that Jerry Fraley did for me. Um <laughs> Number one was uh, when we'd have monthly staff meetings back with Dave Smith. Um, I went to my first one. I was all nervous about it. And Fraley said, look, here's the deal. Don't say a word. You don't say anything. You don't ask questions. You just sit there. So that's pretty much been my approach. Yeah, absolutely. That'll work, right? One of the last ones over at the old building, we were walking out after a staff meeting. And it was one of the ones where one of the rare instances where we didn't adhere to that policy. And Brad Townsend asked a few questions. So we're walking out and we're on the loading dock, walking back to our cars. And it's me, Brad, and Jerry Fraley. And suddenly we stop and Jerry goes, Brad, what the hell were you doing? (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm going to tell one more Dave Smith story. And I've I've told this a thousand (laughs) times, uh, but I've never said anything on the air. You know, Dave Smith was the the great sports editor of the Dallas Morning, who's Dallas Morning News, who created Sports Day. He uh, is a legend in the business, but also also quite a character. And uh, once in a in one of our meetings, he was just beating on us about how much money we were spending on expense accounts and on our travel. And we guys just have to be more circumspect about all this. We just can't go on like this. We're not going to be able to do the things that make us great on and on. Just a total beat down. And, 
And we walked out of the meeting and I was in the front and I was walking with Dave and I said, Dave, are we really in that bad of shape on our extrinsic accounts? And he said, nah, I just said all that. <laughs> so uh, that was, uh, that was Dave Smith. Uh, that was just his style. So anyway, now if you have any stories about your bosses, you'd like us to tell on next week's sports insider. That's right. Just call, just call in and we'll make sure you get fired. Uh, so anyway, uh, so we, we, we've saw a lot of things happen over the weekend. Uh, we saw the Cowboys, uh, go through three days of draft and, and of course the Cowboys being the Cowboys, it was not without some controversy. Uh, we had the, the Rangers, uh, take three out of four against the Red Sox. It had the best, uh, record in the American league. Uh, that was a pretty impressive performance by those old Rangers. And the Mavericks uh, continue to struggle with the Sacramento Kings of all teams, uh, swept by the Kings in 15 days, three losses. Uh, that could be a, a real factor going forward. Well, we're going to start off talking about the draft uh, and how the Cowboys did. Uh, they, of course, took Penn State linebacker Micah Parsons with the 12th pick, which was after they traded down two because neither one of the cornerbacks that they thought were going to be on the board at 10 Neither Patrick Sertain II nor J.C. Horn of South Carolina were available. They went at eight and nine, and that left the Cowboys scratching their heads. David, do you think the Cowboys had any idea at all that both of those guys would be gone? They said in the days leading up to the draft, they were getting uh, more of a feel that that could happen and that the day of the draft on Thursday, they actually dug in and said, okay, let's discuss all of our scenarios now if both corners are gone. How are we going to handle this? What are we going to do? And so they said most of their prep work late. You know, uh, they always knew it was a possibility. I think about a week or so before the draft, they thought it was the least likely of the three possibilities. I mean, the possibilities were, and we talked about it last week on the show, either you're going to have both corners available, which would have been the first time no defensive player went in the top 10 since 1957, uh, one of the two corners available, which was the most likely scenario. And then the least likely was they were both off the board and they were both off the board. So Dallas had to go to uh, the, I wouldn't call it the emergency option because actually Micah Parsons was rated higher on their board. That being said, they would have taken a corner at 10 if a corner was there uh, just because their need at that position is, is so overwhelming. But um they worked on it the day of, came up with scenarios. And and I will say whether you agree or disagree with how they did it or, or picking Parsons over Slater at number 12, they were sitting on the board at 10 with a choice between Micah Parsons and Rashawn Slater, uh, the offensive lineman. They moved back two spots, picked up an additional third-round pick, and at number 12, they were still faced with the same decision they had at 10 between Slater and Parsons. So from that perspective, I think they, uh, they, they moved out of it as well as you could. Um, you know, some people would say you should have taken the offensive lineman over. But, but I, I think Parsons, Parsons was the highest rated player, defensive player on their board and number four overall on their draft board. Evan, did you have a comment about that? Uh, I, well, I had questions um my, my question here is you know we spend or the cowboys spend and their analysts spend and the whole nfl spends months and months of analyzing and over analyzing sometimes to the point of paralysis 
Um, David, you, you, you mentioned that they, you know, they kind of got down to the, the worst case scenario or, or that third scenario on the, on the day of the draft. Did they not have any serious discussions about that previously? Or, it, I mean, it seems kind of weird that, that you would wait till the last minute to actually go down that road. Yeah, no, they, they did. They went through all three scenarios. They discuss them really whenever it comes up, they, they continually discuss, but on Thursday, it, it started to become apparent to them that this is now our most likely scenario. So let's go through this again. Uh, do we, Who's going to be there at 10 if both corners are gone? Um, and, and again, you still have a couple of other scenarios you have to work to. You, you, you have a pretty good idea who's going to be there at 10, but you have no concrete idea. So, you know, they weren't just running models with Slater and Parsons. It was like, well, what if Slater's gone? So it's Parsons and who else? Or, you know, and and so they were going through all of that. Uh, what if an extra quarterback is here? How far are we willing to move back for a team to jump up in order to get their quarterback? Um, you know, what's the absolute back end that we're willing to move to make something work? So it's just you intensify your time and you spent more time on it on Thursday. They weren't unprepared or hadn't discussed it leading up to it. It's just most of their preparation, my understanding on draft day was, okay, both corners are going to be gone. How do we want to handle this draft now? I think one of the things that kind of uh, put a thorn in, in the side of the Cowboys and all this too is that Mac Jones just dropped to 15, dropped right in the laps of the Patriots. I mean, that that draft could not have worked out better for New England. I think that Bill Belichick probably wanted Mac Jones all along. He seems like a Tom Brady starter kit. I'm not saying he's going to be Tom Brady, but he certainly – has that kind of makeup uh, and it seems to be the kind of guy he would want as a quarterback. And he didn't have to trade up to get him. This was a guy, some people had him projected as the third pick going to the 49ers. Uh, and for him to go from three to 15, it kind of took a little bit of the uh, leverage that the Cowboys might've had and, and uh, disposed of that because, you know, as we saw, there was a trade made, obviously the bears traded up, from 20 to uh, 11 to take Justin Fields, who had also had fallen in the draft. Uh, and and I'm wondering, David, at that point, so the Cowboys did make the trade, uh, obviously. They went from 10 to 12 with the Eagles, uh, and they picked up a third-round pick this year, which was actually my favorite part of that pick, was that uh, I think Mike Parsons is a, is a nice linebacker. Uh, got a little bit of a, a, of a history there at Penn State that wasn't good. Uh, and obviously the other side of that is, is that you spent a first and a second round draft pick on linebackers in the last five years. And, uh, and now you're having to spend the first again, because you're going to be replacing probably at least one of those guys. And you maybe you replace two of them in this draft. And we'll talk about that later. Uh, but the fact that, uh, they, they made that trade, I'm wondering, David, was it possible that they could have traded down? Uh, with done the the deal that uh, the Giants did with the Bears, you know, and the Bears in that trade got besides trading down to twenty, they got a fifth round pick this year, this year, and a first round pick and a fourth round pick next year when the draft is really supposed to be even better than it was this year. So, is it possible the Cowboys could have done something like that? And if they had done that, you know, of course, Virginia Tech cornerback Caleb Farley was still available at 20. I think he went 22 or 23. Um, and there was some thought that he was as good or as talented as any of the cornerbacks in this draft is of course the 
the microdisectomy as the uh, the back surgery was obviously an issue. Two microdisectomies. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, uh, my understanding is Chicago did inquire about uh, Dallas, that pick. Um, they didn't, the, the offer they made Dallas was not as great as the one they made New York. Um, and Dallas didn't want to move back to 20. They felt they were going to move off their plateau. And while it made more sense in the future going forward, they, they, they felt in this draft, they were going to hurt themselves that they didn't want to, I think Dallas was pretty committed, uh, to coming out of this first round with one of the two corners or Micah Parsons. And they felt it going back to 20, that certainly would not have happened. And they felt that those were the three impact players defensively, in this draft that they could count on. Um, Farley, a great upside, but two microdisectomies before you enter the league is that the risk reward there is, is tilted toward the risk more than the reward in the first round. Uh, I, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get that. And there certainly would be a risk with that. And I've criticized the Cowboys in the past for taking guys with injury history. So it seems a little bit, you know, uh, hypocritical to do that now, but you know, that's, that's what we're all about. Uh, being hypocrites. Yes, we're hypocrites. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, so David, let's let's talk about the linebacker situation because uh, the, the Cowboys uh, declined to uh, exercise their fifth year option on Leighton Van Der Esch on Monday. Uh, that pretty much puts him uh, on notice that uh, he's he's playing for a contract now. The Cowboys could still bring him back, could still do a deal. They've done that in the past. They did that uh, uh, at least once. I'm I'm thinking of uh, Mo Claiborne. Mo Claiborne, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, it's possible they could bring him back, but uh, I would guess that uh, that from day one, Micah Parsons is going to be a starting linebacker for the Cowboys. Uh, is he not? Well, we'll see how all this shakes down. But I think when uh, you know we're talking about Leighton Vanderesh now, because on Monday was the deadline to exercise his fifth year option. Uh, the club chose not to do that. But in my mind, that is not saying that that is not saying goodbye to uh, Leighton Vanderesh. It's saying let's wait and see. And now you set up. I I think Jalen Smith's position is every bit as precarious. Uh, I think I think what drafting Micah Parsons and Jabril Cox in the in the fourth round has done is. Uh, you know, as soon as Parsons was taken and then they exercised that, you know, don't exercise the fifth year option on Van Der Esch two days, three days later, everyone's going, OK, well, Van Der Esch is the guy out. Don't be so fast on that. Jalen Smith could be the guy out. I think definitely either Van Der Esch or Smith will be gone after this season. But I think I think it's very much up in the air which one is. Uh, because even though this will be the third year of a five year extension for Jalen Smith, the club can get out of it at the end of this season and actually save $5 million. So in my mind, uh, you know Parsons is going to be here going forward. You know Jabril Cox is going to have a role. It's going to be after two disappointing seasons for both Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch, okay, can you guys return to form? And the one that we like the best is going to be the one that stays. Is it possible that neither one stays? That's possible, um, you know, if, if they see enough out of Jabril Cox. Uh, and like I said, you can, uh, because Leighton Vanderesh won't be under contract next year. And if you cut ties with 
uh, Jalen Smith, you're actually saving $5 million on the cap to spend that you wouldn't have otherwise. So they could both be gone. But I think the best way to look at it right now is one will be gone. Because if both are gone, then you're still pretty thin at a position that could potentially be a position of strength. And there's not a lot of positions of strength on the defensive side of the ball. No, there are not. There are not. Of course, we thought they were doing that with the linebackers in the last five drafts, and and it turns out they weren't. And that's uh, that's been the problem with the Cowboys. Yeah, and I think people who were frustrated with the pick of Parsons, that's exactly what it was. It wasn't that they were upset taking Parsons. It was, one, they were so fixated on getting a corner in the first round, and then that didn't happen. And two, really, you're expending draft a first-round draft capital again on the linebacker position, uh, you know, just – three years later, that makes no sense. I think that's that was the frustration, not with what Micah Parsons can bring to this defense based off of what we've seen in college. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for our Cowboys segment. Now we're going to talk about the, the Rangers and also the Mavericks as they uh, continue to kind of founder around uh, in this uh, playoff hunt. Um, we're going to talk about what the Rangers have done over the weekend and bring on our old pal Evan to talk about that. Even though Evan wasn't out there Sunday, whoever that guy was that was covering the Rangers on Sunday, let me tell you something. He's got some promise. Yeah, promise of Social Security. <laughs> I like that. I would remember that one, Evan. That's good. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. thanks for filling in, Kevin. You're you're an able uh, – of all the you're things – You're going to say able-bodied? Are, was that what you were saying? You're, you're a substitute. Yeah. I was a substitute. I was I was really a lag substitute too. Everything was just <laughs> running wild out there. Uh just like that that always is. Uh so the Rangers uh took three out of four from the Red Sox, uh, and that was pretty remarkable. Um then they, they go up to Minnesota on Monday and uh and have a chance to win that game. They make a comeback late, and if not for some some really poor play in the outfield, uh I, I couldn't get I couldn't understand what was going on. It wasn't just the Rangers. The left fielders in this game on Monday night really struggled on balls, getting getting bad reads on balls. Uh, and uh, and then uh, this is the first game I think we've seen where um, uh, that Adolis Garcia really struggled a little bit in center field. He went back to the wall, kind of jumped, didn't need to. Uh, ball bounces off his wrist, and and uh, these and then of course Joey Gallo made. Uh, a, a poor throw from uh, right field trying to go to third. Uh, and, uh, and and on that play, Dane Dunning probably didn't back up the play uh, well enough. And a run scored there. He had a, he had a run score at the plate because of a uh, the catcher makes a nice catch, uh, Jose Trevino, and then doesn't apply the tag. So it was uh, stuff like that that kept him from winning. Uh, but I think, you know, we're not expecting the Rangers to win a lot. Uh, what we're expecting to see is young guys uh, perform and uh, get to a level uh, where they should be. And I, I think we saw a little bit of that over the last couple of days from Joey Gallo, who uh, doubled on Sunday and then homered and singled Monday night. Uh, and that, I believe, almost doubled his extra base hit total for the season. Almost. Um, I think he had... Three going into last night? Yeah, three going into last night, yeah. Now he has five. I, I Listen, I, I think it was really encouraging to see Joey hit a pair of balls over 100 miles an hour, um, pull the ball with power, uh, again, off a lefty to do that. All of that's encouraging. Um, but I, I still don't know that I would, I would say he's 
out of it necessarily. Um, I, I think with the first month of the season, his once again illustrated on Joey is that there's a real fine line or a real small sweet spot for where he absolutely can be dominant. And the first three weeks of the season, we saw a guy who swung towards that, that side of the, the scale where he was a little bit passive and got to a point where he was hunting walks. Then we saw a guy who was swinging um, a little bit too aggressively early in counts, trying to jump on fastballs. And so it has to keep narrowing down. Um, I think he's done a good job of, of, of fighting uh, to extend at bats, but he just hasn't barreled up a ton of balls uh, until the two balls he hit last night. I, I think the thing for me that's that's still most concerning about Joey is as I'm watching that game last night, there's still some swing and miss at balls that are that, that seem to be in, in the hitting zone. And those are things he's he's going to have to address if he's going to be a superstar. This is not to say that Joey Gallo is not a good baseball player. He's a very good baseball player, and he's contributing to this team. But if you're if you're considering Joey Gallo's future, it's got to be, is he a superstar that you can build this team around? Yeah, and and I think we know uh, how that's going to work out, or at least we have a pretty good idea, um, because uh, uh, his agent, Scott Boris, is probably uh, going to take him to free agency and, and the Rangers, even if they were so inclined. Uh, are probably not going to be able to uh, aren't, uh, to work some kind of uh, extension in before then. At least I don't think so. So, uh, so Evan, let's talk about a couple of uh, guys on the on the middle of the infield and about what their futures are and how that might impact. Because I know you you had a, a plan in place here for the Rangers. I know you like to tell the Rangers what to do, uh, and and you were telling them that Trevor Story from Irving, the Colorado Rockies fine shortstop, would be a great target for them in free agency, and they should bring him in here. And now I think maybe you're having second thoughts. I, I think that, um, yes, I, I will take credit for telling the Rangers what to do, and they've obviously listened to me very many times in their history. Which is, which is why they're in the shape they're in right now, I <laughs> Absolutely. think. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all my fault. Um, uh, but I, I do think that that was their tentative plan going into the season was they would take a look at Connor Falefa and Solak in the middle. And if they didn't think that these guys were going to be able to perform above average offensively, uh, then Trevor Story was going to be their, their big free agent, um, target this winter, or at least one of the big free agent shortstops would be their target. Uh, but what we've seen over the past month is, you know, the what-if scenario. What if these guys do play well enough in the middle? And Nick Solak has clearly uh, made some adjustments in his swing. If this guy is an 800, if he's a 775 or above OPS guy, he's definitely your second baseman. If he's an 800 above OPS, he's an elite second baseman. Um, Kiner has shown more ability to drive the ball in the last two weeks than probably we've ever seen from him. Um, and, and he's certainly playing gold glove defense. And if you get to a point where you feel like, hey, we're getting above league average offensive numbers from these two, then maybe you dedicate your money elsewhere. And maybe you spend your free agency dollars on extra pitching instead of on a shortstop. It would be a best case scenario for the Rangers for these two guys to both seize everyday playing time. Um 
And all I know is that at the start of play yesterday, again, we're only 20% of the way through the season, but the Rangers' second base and shortstop, when you combine the, the OPS that the Rangers had gotten from those two positions, it was the second best uh, OPS in, in the American League from a middle infield. I think, you know, uh, the thing that makes this uh, a, a little more um, palatable, if it works out that way, is that, first of all, that uh, that Connor Falefa is a uh, a really good defensive shortstop. We know that. So that was, as you said, the question was whether he's going to hit enough. Uh, if you moved him to second base, if they went after Trevor Story, and obviously you would want to keep his Connor Falefa's defense, uh, at second base, his his offense isn't going to work as much. It's going to work at shortstop. If he, can, if he can hit a little bit, if he can be a, as you were saying, if he could be a 750, I think, uh, shortstop uh, OPS, then then that's good enough. Uh, it's not as good at second base, which is an offensive position. My my only problem with all, this whole I'm scenario, not so sure, Kevin. I'm not so sure that I don't think of shortstop as a more offensive position than second base at this point. Well, I mean, it's kind of it's going that way just because of the great shortstops we've seen come along. But it, historically, it has been. You, right. you certainly have to get offense out of your second baseman, and uh, and they're getting that from Solak right now. He's still. You know, I, I I have problems with him a little bit in second base. He doesn't have a great arm, not great feet, not real nifty around the bag. There's a lot of things. Uh, but I, I will say this. It does seem like over the last couple of weeks, uh, it's less of a problem to me. And maybe maybe that's the, the story here. Maybe if, if as time goes by and he really gets a lot of time at the second base position, I know he works hard at it. I know he, he's a good athlete overall. Uh, I, I think that, you know, maybe he can make himself into at least a decent second baseman. And uh, and if he keeps hitting like this, uh, he, he's certainly good enough to play that. Listen, if he if, if he hits, if he puts together an 800 OPS, he's a good enough second baseman, regardless of how he fields the ball. Um, all I can go back to is this. I still don't think that we've got answers on Kiner Falefa and Solak long term. Um, but what I have said, I think, since the day they both got to the big leagues is, I'm not sure what their ceilings are, but I am sure that these two guys will reach their ceilings. And that's a rarity among players. You know, that was something that Michael Young had. Uh, if you do that, you're going to contribute to winning ball clubs. And, and both of these guys are taking ownership of this team performance-wise and I think also in the clubhouse. And it, it's paying dividends. Um, and and they, are, they are putting themselves in the conversation of, well, maybe we've got a middle. Maybe we should consider if we have a middle infield solution for the future. All right. Uh, we've talked about the Cowboys in the draft uh, and uh, some of the things they did and didn't do uh, and what they were prepared to do. Uh, we've talked about the Rangers and uh, might be trending upward a little bit, uh, at least at the moment. In uh, some of the performances of these players and the hitters, and even in the even in the pitching staff and the, among the starters, we're seeing some uh, better performances. Dane Dunning was uh, was certainly uh, more than adequate on Monday, even though the the Rangers lost that game. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the Mavericks. Uh, talk about a team that uh, is just all over the map, uh, David. I can't figure out what they're doing here. They in the last uh, in, a, in a span of fifteen days, they lost three times to the Kings which would almost seem impossible, but, but they managed to do it. Uh, a, a Kings team uh, without Harrison Barnes, by the way, uh, and, uh, and without a rookie of the year candidate uh, in, their, in the last loss. Uh, so explain to me, David, how it is that they could play 
so poorly against Sacramento? Well, I think they're one, it, it is a bad matchup and, and NBA teams all the time, superior teams will have problematic matchups with teams that aren't as good as them uh, for whatever reason. In the case of the Kings, I think they're, they're very fast. They're very athletic. Uh, I, I think that uh, they can give Dallas a lot of problems that way. Uh, two, I, you know, I think it goes back to, we've hit this theme periodically over the course of the season about Dallas becoming a, a better defensive club. And, and they have become a better defensive club, but it's still not part of their DNA. It's still not fully incorporated into who they are as a team yet. It has to be a, a conscious effort to focus on defense and do these defensive principles. It's not, it's not second nature to them yet. They're not, they're, they're still an offensive team that is trying to get better defensively as opposed to a defensive unit that is trying to improve offensively. You know, you're, you're usually either one or the other. And so I think a lot of times you will see the defensive effort be there against really good teams because you know in the postseason you're going to have to play defense and you're going to have to have a more balanced attack and uh, it, it's easier to do. I, I think when you look at teams below you in the standings, and the Kings are far below uh, the Mavericks in the standings, you kind of go, "Okay, well, if we're not, you know, if we're not on top of our defensive game tonight, we can still win this one." And then suddenly you look up, and the game's gotten away from you, and then now you're trying to lean all on offense, and your defense just goes out the window. I, I think that's happened uh, in some of these matchups as well, and you know it. In some respect, the Mavericks can be encouraged by the fact that, by and large, they're they're playing competitive games and, and, and playing at a pretty high level against teams that are above them in the standings, which are the ones they're going to be facing in the postseason. But the concerning thing about this is you lose to the Kings three times in 15 days. Worst case scenario, you should have taken that series two to one. So now you've dropped two games in the standings. Now, when it's all done, maybe you find yourself in the play-in game. When you're in those play, when you're in the play-in tournament, now suddenly maybe say you win one, but oh look, you're facing Golden State here in the second game, and Steph Curry goes off for 45 points, and you don't even make it to the postseason. So that's that's what this has put them in danger of doing. In my mind, they've lost two games in the standings by not at least taking the season series from Sacramento, which they should. And now uh, they're in a really uh, difficult position over these final few weeks of the season. Yeah, they are. You know, and, and, and to me, that this is all a product of, of being a, a young team. Uh, not a lot of old heads out there. I mean, really, uh, J.J. Redick is the, is the one guy on the team with some playoff experience and an older player. Uh, that's the issue for me when you when they – when they don't have those types of players, I know, you know, there's a, there was a, a, a talk last year when they were trying to get Danny green uh, that, well, do they really need to be adding these kind of guys to the team? Don't, don't you want to just let the young guys play so you can kind of get them more minutes and see who they are. It's like, you know, as we know, generally speaking in sports, uh, coaches are, are, are a good thing, right? They do a pretty good job. They, they teach guys what to do, but they also get a lot of uh, coaching up, by veteran players, uh, young players do. And I think it's important that they get that because 
you know, a lot of times they're going to identify with what those guys say more than others. You know, I, just as, as an example, uh, you know, Willie Calhoun is off to a really good start for the, for the Rangers. Uh, and one of the reasons is because of his conversation with his old pal, Alex Verdugo, uh, who he came up with in the Dodgers organization, who, who's now playing for the Red Sox. Um, and Verdugo told him, listen, you need to go back to hitting to all fields. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of what the Rangers would like him to do too, but he's hearing that from Verdugo, a guy he trusts, the guy who, who knows him, who's been around him for a long time and thinks he has his best interests at heart. So I think that's what happens with players as well. And in, in the one, for me, one of the problems this Mavs team has is that there's just not uh, enough older guys in the team to say, Hey man, uh, we, we've got to beat these bad teams. And they just don't do that. You know, it's just like you said, it, it, it requires effort for them to play defense. Uh, it requires mental effort. You know, it's not natural to them. And when it's not natural to you, you just don't want to do it. You know, you, you just feel like, well, I don't really need to do that. And I guess the yeah, bad it's team. the first thing to slip. Has, yeah. Absolutely. It's the first thing that goes. So we'll see. I, I think when they play the Nets on Wednesday, uh, we'll have a better uh, look. At, at who the Mavericks are as a potential playoff team. Uh, I, I think they do play those teams better. I think they get excited for them. I think they get up for them. I think Luka Doncic in particular gets up for those games more. The bigger the moment, the brighter he shines. Uh, and I think that's a, a great thing about him. But he's going to have to learn, as, as the rest of them will, that uh, hey, you got to, you got to, it's a, it's a job, it's a business, and we got to go out there every night and play the same way. Yeah, now in this stretch run, too, you don't just have the concerns about your defense and your positioning. Uh, Luka Doncic is one more technical away from mi- being, you know, missing a full game. Uh, that could that could impact the stretch run as well. So he's in a position where he can't really afford to get another technical for the remainder of this season. Yeah, you know, and and, and we can complain all we want to about the fact that, oh, it's unfair. And how do you, how do you get a, uh, a technical for saying hell no to referee? I mean, I mean, come on. Uh, Billy Martin wasn't even getting warmed up at hell no. Uh, so I, I teed up my wife for that last night. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. She, I asked her to make me something to eat because I was hungry, and she said hell no, so I gave her a technical. <laughs> I hope and then she did gave, she cook it for you or not? No, absolutely not. She no. said that's not like, happening. No, I, you know, Evan, you, you're – you're such a dinosaur. I tell them, hey, hey, get in here and make me something to eat. No, I <laughs> make me a grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> she in there, start banging them pots and pans. I asked her if she would make me something to eat because I'm helpless. <laughs> <laughs> You're helpless, all right. There's no question about that. I touched something. I touched something in this house, and the next thing you know, we've got repairmen out here, and they've got heavy equipment. And I, I mean, <laughs> I tried to put up a curtain rod, Kevin tried i tried yeah and now we've got uh we've got a a hole that comes in from the outside of the house (laughs) with wind and storms so oh and with all these tornadoes coming through too was it a titanium rod what were you trying to put up i just it it was some curtains and you don't i i come from a family of furniture craftsmen i did not inherit the gene no I'm not sure what you inherited, Evan, but it's not good, whatever it was. All right, that's going to do it for our uh, our podcast this week. We hope that you'll tune in next time, and uh, we're going to make sure that Evan gets some uh, coaching up, uh, too, on his uh, home skills and, and see what that does for anybody. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time. 
Well, that wraps up another episode of Sports Day Insider. Is it over already? Well, Evan, all good things come to an end, I suppose. The show is produced by Jeff Whittington. And presented by the Dallas Morning News. Our theme song is by Dallas's own John Dufalo. Don't forget to follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your quality podcasts. You'll never miss a Sports Day Insider episode, and you'll discover some other great shows. And if you liked what you heard, please rate the Dallas Morning News feed and give us a review. It helps us reach other sports fans and news junkies. Learn more about this show and other shows at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find special Dallas Morning News subscription rates just for listeners. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you back here next week.